0: Welcome back to the NOMI Podcast. Hi
1: there. I'm Madeline, one of the coaches and co-hosts of the NOMI Podcast. I'm here with Cynthia Garrett, licensed mental health counselor and coach, and one of the wisest and kindest people I know. But maybe I'm biased. She's also my mom. Each episode, we discuss what's going on in the world, themes we're seeing with our clients, and topics that help us discover more about ourselves every day. As coaches and curious people, we believe that living your fullest, most authentic life starts with getting to know yourself. By the end of each episode, we hope you're one step closer to saying, ah, yes, I truly know me. So the thing that's on my mind for this week is actually something that I've spoken about probably for years now, and it's only gotten more and more consistent in conversations with people of all ages, of all walks of life, but usually with people my age in their mid-late twenties, which is why do I have no friends? Why is it so hard to make friends? Why is friendship so complicated? Why do all of my friendships feel superficial? Where's that closeness that I used to feel or the ease of making friends that I used to have when I was in school or when I was younger or at any other point in my life and this feeling of loneliness that comes from a place of not believing you have strong bonds around you and people that you can really connect with. So I'd love to talk about this with you because I'm sure you also have some really interesting perspectives. It's something that's come up in our conversation several times in the past. So right off the bat, what do you think about that as a topic?
0: I think that's a great topic because that topic kind of follows us throughout our whole (laughs) lifespan. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear you say that at your age, because I have the same questions with some of my clients and myself where I'm like, I'm really not satisfied with my friendships. What's that about? And so When I do a dive into that for myself, what I usually come up with is I have perhaps changed the expectation or the meaning in the word friendship or what I'm looking for in a friend or what I'm looking for to give to a friend. Yeah, Maybe it's not being received. I really want to give you this caring, but you really don't want to receive the get back caring, you know, and yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. What about you? What are you finding is the disconnect?
1: Yeah, I think a big part of the disconnect on the foundational level is that there's fewer opportunities to meet people. And therefore, I think there's this inclination to put more pressure on the people we do meet to go deep fast, because there's almost this inner desperation of if it doesn't work with this person, then when am I going to meet the next person? Because especially with remote work and the way the world has changed, There are fewer physical spaces where we can interact and engage with new people and grow our friend groups. And so either we feel like we have this precious few amount of friends where if any one of them were to get in a fight with us, it would be game over. Or there's you just feel like there's not a lot of change. And we change a ton as individuals. So it's really rewarding to feel like you have a lot of opportunities to meet people that will grow with you and through your life. But actually there's a quote that I wanted to bring into the conversation from an article that I read a while ago in the Atlantic. And it starts out by talking about the different types of relationships we have in our lives. So romantic relationships, partners, family, and friendships. And they basically say that friendships are the bottom tier They never trump anything else. And the quote that I wanted to read was friendships are unique relationships because, unlike family relationships, we choose to enter into them. And unlike other voluntary bonds, such as marriages and romantic relationships, they lack a formal structure. You wouldn't go months without speaking or seeing your significant other, hopefully, but you might go that long without contacting a friend. And I think this adds another layer as well, which is that we're busy. (laughs) We're really busy. And so right. the elements of not having a lot of opportunities to meet new people, a lot of pressure for those relationships to go deep. And then on top of that, not having the time to keep up with friends once you do have them all just create, I think, a hurricane of making it really challenging to, to forge and keep friendships. <laughs>
0: right. Absolutely. Even in our, in our romantic relationships, There is this thought, at least in my age group, in our age group, that just because I've been friends with you for a long period of time, right, Mm. doesn't mean that it doesn't take constant checking in or redefining or sure. modifying what why we're in this right what am i trying to give and what do you want and what am i trying to receive what are the qualities of me that i want to sort of have augmented or yeah. just validated or just connected with so when i was younger i really wanted to connect with people i wanted people to think i was funny because To me, it meant that I was lighthearted because sometimes Mm. I could be really serious and, you know, huge problem solver. And I wanted to connect with people with my lighter side, with my fun and humor side, and also have the side of me that was really, really good with problem solving or listening or things like that. So it was sort of like, why do I only have friends who want to have me be their problem solver?
1: Yeah. I mean, we've spoken about this several times because, to, to no one's surprise, we are very similar people. And what you've just touched on in terms of how we forge friendships in our adult stages of life around shared values is significant because you just painted it yourself. You have multiple values. So, you want to have friends that appreciate your seriousness and your problem solving, your commitment and your drive. And you want to have friends that appreciate and connect with you on the humor and the good time version of yourself as well. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be the same person. Sometimes a certain friend can have a lot of different layers to them that allows you Mm to tap into different pieces of who you are. These tend to be those kinds of people, in my opinion, that feel like soul friends, like anytime friends. Mm -hmm. You can meet them in a challenge space, you can meet them in a lighthearted space and they'll find a way to meet you where you're at and vice versa. Mm -hmm. But that also tends to be incredibly rare because it's a lot of expectations to put on a person that they'll tick 10 boxes. The way we, we form friendships as adults around shared values is nothing like how we used to. Even in your school age, just physically being in the same space as other people while you're figuring out who you are, there's so much more ambiguity and flexibility in what you're looking for that it's usually easier to connect with people. And then your expectations go up a little bit when you're an adult, similar to like your dating life. You're like, okay, this is what I'm looking for. I don't really want to make as many compromises. I don't have any time, so I can't
0: waste it with someone who drains my energy or isn't a nice time to be around. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? So from developmental standpoint, you're talking about forming your identity, right? Mm. Forming your identity, which is basically forming a lot of these core values that are just going to be your go-tos, right? And like you said, multifaceted for sure. It's not, doesn't mean that you, that your core values have to stay stagnant. They don't But research has said over the years, studying people that there's usually three or four core values that are pretty consistent throughout the lifespan. We really need to pay attention to that. And then we need to pay attention to it throughout the lifespan, just so that we know what we're looking for. That's, I think, the structure in the romantic partner. Like we kind of have a checklist, right? (laughs) As opposed to friendships. I'm going to argue that they're one in the same, just there's different qualifications or different qualities that you're looking for someone that you're going to, Maybe share a home with, or that you're gonna maybe start a family with, or that you're gonna be romantic, or have a sexual relationship with, or things like that. But once again, those are kind of doing activities, right? So (laughs) there, right? So there we go again. My favorite thing, which is doing and being. (laughs) How can the being support the doing? What are the qualities of being that you need to? see in another person or you need to see in yourself that are going to support a good cohabitating experience. Yeah.
1: something that's just come to mind is it can be really difficult to just think off the top of your head. What type of friend do I want to have or who do what do I want to contribute to a friendship like these things you're if you spend some time reflecting on, you could probably come up with an answer. But I think another great exercise to do is to just think of a person. If you have had one of these people before at any time in your life that really held you, made you feel secure in the friendship, Felt you felt connected to, and ask yourself why. What is it that made that person fill that kind of space for you? And how did they make you feel? And what did you feel you contributed to that specific friendship? And um, what were your experiences like when you were together? And I think this is a really great way of using an example of a success and then Mm -hmm. figuring out, okay, if that's the gold standard of friendship in my life, then where can I find more people? How did I meet that person? Is there a way I could replicate that experience? Where could I find more of those individuals. So that might be a really great place to start as well.
0: Yeah, I like that idea. What I do with my clients a lot of times is as we're defining, like we were talking about earlier, as we're defining friendship, right, is to think about what we like about ourselves as a friend and what qualities do we like in others as those meaningful friends. And and like you said, right, one, it's not necessarily one person has it all, Right. So what we want to do is allow ourselves to think about a handful of them and what qualities they bring to our lives and that we connect in that way. Quality
1: better than quantity. So I Mm -hmm. think this is something we're getting at as well. And one of the things that I want to touch upon, which we spoke about in the beginning when we talked about the complexities of how friendship changes when you move into your adulthood, is this idea of not having enough time for friends. So another really interesting point that was made in this article is that there's this bittersweet element to the friends that we forge in young adulthood because you have an abundant time amount of time for friendship in this stage of mm-hmm. your life. These are people who are often contributing to making decisions about who you are So you spend time with people that help you to forge your identity. And then all of a sudden, at the end of that stage and in the beginning of your new stage, as you step into your career, you lose touch. And the same people who were responsible for helping you get to where you are are the people you don't have time for. This is one of the pressures of making friends as an adult. If you do have a small amount of time, and the reality is that we can pretend that we could make more time for friends. And if it was really a priority, you would make more time. But I don't know how helpful that is.
0: Mm. The
1: reality is you have the time that you have. So how do you make the most of the time that you have with new friends or existing friends to strengthen bonds and to try and push those friendships to go deeper and feel more fulfilling? Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I do. One is when you were talking about the abundance of opportunity when you're younger, Absolutely. Right. There's research out there that says that if you don't meet your significant other by the time you're out of college, it gets more and more difficult just because of sheer numbers that you're around with relatively your same age group. But the rub there is you don't even know who you are at that age. It's true. It's true. Right. And neither do they. So To have the expectation that all of these, let's say, hundreds of people that you've accumulated in the first 22 years of your life um, Mm. are going to be good people to deep dive with, right, is a huge wild card. It's a shot in the dark because... Not only haven't you had the opportunity to do the work to figure out how you want to attach, but they haven't either. I have one friend and we've been friends since the eighth grade, and we don't spend a lot of time together, but when we do, we go to a place that's very rewarding. And the reason we do is because A, we reconnected at a time and we invested the time when we knew. What each other was really those core principles, right? And we shared events. Sometimes it's time, right? You just can't make up events, right? We share events and life experiences that just helped deepen those, but in a way that was meaningful. So this friend of mine, her name's Kate, she and I were, I was pregnant. With my first child first who happens to be named kate and i remember sharing with her my thoughts and my feelings about being really afraid being really afraid not necessarily of being pregnant but actually being a a parent right Mm -hmm. um because i knew i wanted to continue to work full-time and there was at that time a lot of rhetoric out there that we were doing our children a disservice if moms weren't staying home to raise our, their children. And there was a lot of rhetoric on the other side as well, saying that we were actually doing ourselves a disservice if we were staying at home full-time with our oh, children. Lord. The good news <laughs> so, is that both sides of those are
1: still here. We expect women to be everything to everyone all the time, even but... if it means literally contradicting yourself. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was, and I had a mom. So my role model, it was my mom and she was a stay at home mom. And I had most of my peers were stay at home moms, but unlike my mom, they had careers that they left to parent and then they came back to the workforce. So I was in a quandary and I knew I wanted to be a parent, but I didn't know how I was going to be the best parent. She really helped me and I was able to be really open and I, and trusting. When we're talking about our core values. We're talking about opening up a part of us that is really vulnerable because if it is wounded, it hurts more. It's not a flesh Mm -hmm. wound. It's not a surface wound. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think vulnerability is such a great keyword here because you couldn't, you couldn't define it, but you know, you know it when you feel it. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. So with, Right. Vulnerability. I think the key element there is, you know, those people that you meet where you just feel like you are in what's TMI, too much information zone really fast. And that's usually because the other person is mirroring the level of vulnerability that you're giving them or vice versa. And so you're able to get to a place of vulnerability really fast. And the example in my life I can give is my friend Josie, Mm -hmm. who, you know, of course, and who hopefully one day will listen to this podcast episode. I met her when I had just moved to Berlin, and we met through a mutual friend. Thank you very much, Nicole. And at the end of the dinner, she came up and she was like, I just think we should really be friends. And when we hung out from there, our relationship really quickly allowed us to connect on a deep level because we had all sorts of shared experiences from actually living in a lot of the same places, living in Shanghai, living in Berlin, having experience in the UK as well, different cultures, different levels of culture shock. So we could relate to each other's awkwardness, living in new countries or new cities. And Mm. Going deep really fast. And on top of all of that, we both have partners who are different from us and have similar struggles. They're not the same person at all. But when we had challenges in our relationship, we were able to connect with each other and share those challenges and feel like the other person wouldn't judge us and would just hear the issue because they could understand what it was like working and growing with a person while you're young. And so absolutely, I think vulnerability was a key catalyst in making that particular relationship grow and develop really quickly. I think it just paints this image of no matter what point you are in your life, starting in the eighth grade and moving forward or meeting someone. I met her for the first time, I think when I was like 22, maybe 23, the same experience can happen. And the speed at which you get to that point of comfort and bareness and vulnerability just really depends on the level of trust and the contribution you both make toward building and holding that trust through vulnerability in your friendship.
0: There's a middle ground, right, between chit-chat and vulnerability, Mm -hmm. which I'm going to call like openness, you know, Mm -hmm. and there is a distinct difference in my mind between openness versus vulnerability. Someone who's, sets up walls, right, about their personal life. So they're good problem solvers. So here you're connecting on a value basis, right? They're happy to hear about your experience or your struggle or whatever. And they're trustworthy. They're giving you good advice, but they're missing the point of there being an equal exchange, that it's always them giving really good tutelage to give you perspective on on something that you're struggling with or something you're really excited about. But when it comes to them sharing something at that same level, they don't. This
1: is a very interesting example because I wonder... Mm-hmm. As someone who's been stuck, I guess we can call it in the openness trap, I've had people come into my life where I find that a lot of the time I spend with them is them coming to me with problems or challenges or venting and my being in the position where I help them work through those challenges. And it's not that I don't want to share my own challenges it's that I feel there's no space to. I mean, how, how do we get out of this openness trap when we want to contribute equal vulnerability, but the other person is taking up so much space in the relationship and being so vulnerable so often, so frequently, there's no space for reciprocation.
0: So that could be that they do that on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so they, they want to do more receiving. And sure. I would argue that they are not really being... Um, vulnerable, because vulnerability is being able to receive as well as it is to be able to give.
1: Ooh, okay. So vulnerability is giving and receiving, being able to lay yourself bare, to be honest and authentic and true and have depth, and also to invite the other person to do the same in that space. And the way you've explained openness so far is you are open in terms of another person coming to you with their bareness and vulnerability, but that you are not giving. So there's this lack of connector in the middle. Do you have any other mm-hmm. examples of how openness differentiates in this case?
0: Yeah. So the other one that comes to mind is someone who's say introverted. And when I'm talking about introverted, I'm talking about someone who tends to go Internal when they're trying to work things out or just get a sense of energy versus extroverted, which is the opposite of that, right? Always look externally looking for feedback or validation or things like that. So that someone who's introverted, but they're willing to trust once it's earned, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe that's your block is that I trust myself to give good advice and to connect and be non-judgmental and all those things that I value about myself, but I don't necessarily know if I trust them Okay. to do the
1: same. So in this example is the person who's introverted and goes in, they are in the open space in that they're happy to hear your challenges, happy to help you solve them, but not because they don't want to, they just solve their problems a different way. And so they keep it all internal. And that shifting from openness in that case scenario to vulnerability is to trust that what they can do internally, they can also do with this person. And so they make that change toward taking the internal process and externalizing it in the safe space that
0: the friendship creates. And one of the things that we call that is, Mm. that's why they're called heart-to-heart conversations. Oh, look at you, mom. (laughs) (laughs) So when you're feeling you're having a heart-to-heart conversation, you're probably being vulnerable and witnessing vulnerability, right? Versus what you call the chit chat or the surfacey, yeah, you know, I call it "quote unquote" cocktail party conversation. Cocktail
1: it, which party it. conversation. <laughs> which we'll tell true. party conversation versus cocktails at home. Cocktails at home is usually <laughs> where the heart to heart. And over a glass of wine. Exactly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. Right. Yeah. I like that example. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So so far we've spoken about a whole lot of topics. but We've spoken about the different ways we make friends through our lives. We've spoken about the expectations that we place on friendships, about how we can analyze some friendships to see what we want to give and get out of them, how connecting around vulnerability is kind of the secret sauce, I guess you could say, to forging great friendships. And on that last note, I think we, in talking about the difference between openness and vulnerability, are there some ways that you feel Or in your experience, as you forged friends through your life, are there practices that you particularly do when you are trying to encourage vulnerability in friendships?
0: Yeah. I first check in with me, right, where I'm at. So I do that. And then I look at the other person and I analyze the data that I have thus far. Sometimes I have a lot of data. Sometimes I don't have very much data. And so... What I do is I look at the data and then I try to create a hypothesis, right? A hypothesis about if I allow myself to connect with this person in this way, they're going to connect with me similarly. And Mm. so then we'll have that level of connection and that just adds to the data. So it really does start with what you know about yourself and how you want to connect. And then, and then creating experiences, creating questions, creating conversations. For example, you and I, we're that family, right? Thing. Like mm-hmm. you and I, I just did
1: air quotations for everyone who couldn't see our oh, yes. family. Apparently yes, I'm an family. air quote, family member,
0: air quote, family member. You are, you have moved from given versus chosen. And We mainly because we have gone through some experiences where you have shared with me and I have shared with you how we want to connect with each other. You know, one of my greatest joys in life is connecting with you, Madeline, on a level and you allowing me to connect with you on a level of two women, two human beings trying to get the most out of life and the most out of ourselves, being our best selves. Absolutely true. And I think if this conversation has shown anything, it's that
1: regardless of your age, regardless of the point you're at in life or where you are in the world or what have you, most people struggle with creating and maintaining friendships and so no one is alone. And that's what I love about having these conversations together is that the things that feel like monstrous problems now, I mean, it, it sounds like a negative thing that they're also big problems later, but I think it just shows that the human experiences is, is incredibly varied, but also incredibly repetitive. <laughs> and so we're, we're kind of all in the same space, which means that if you mm-hmm. truly want to forge more vulnerable friendships the likely response from the other person is going to be the same. People want to connect. People want to feel like they have friendships. People want to share. People want to get support. And so the more you invest what you want to see into your friendships, the more likely it is that the other person is going to invest the same. And if they can't and they're unable to or they don't want to, that's, I mean, I don't want to say it's their loss, but that's something that they're responsible for, not you. And so as long as you keep putting out there and projecting what you want to invite in, the more likely it is that you are going to find yourself in a position where maybe you will be the first person in the world that is just so supported and so happy and so full of friendships in their life ever. But on that note, I know as per usual, <laughs> my mom has a glorious quote to share with us all about friendships. So would you like to share that with us now?
0: <laughs> I would. Actually, I have two quotes. Ooh, a bonus. I know, (laughs) bonus quotes. So the first quote is by Brene Brown and because she's written a wonderful book all about vulnerability. Mm. So we'll put the information in the show notes. And if you have an opportunity to check it out, I would strongly encourage you to do so. But Mm. connection, the energy that is created between people when they feel seen, heard and valued. When they can give and receive without judgment.
1: That's a good one. We love Brene. We are huge Brene fans we are on this really podcast.
0: Huge Brene fans. Yes. All
1: right. Hit us yeah. with the second bonus yes. quote, mom.
0: The second bonus quote is be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind by our wonderful friend dr seuss he has so many
1: excellent quotes that come out of his books let me tell you as always i'm really grateful for the time that you've taken mom to have this conversation with me i hope you got something out of this conversation i know i always do and of course if there's anything that you wanted to share with us or any topics you would like us to discuss in future episodes you can find our email in the show notes and reach out to us there as always eternally grateful and we'll see you next time
0: until we talk again be well That brings us to the end of this episode. We hope our conversation provides some insight and practical ways to navigate and understand you. If you have found our show to be helpful, please pass it along. Madeline and I are hoping you will join us in creating a ripple effect of mental health and well-being. As always, thanks for listening to the NOMI podcast. This is Cynthia and Madeline asking you to be good to you.